Hello and welcome to this, the very first Politifix podcast. My name is Andrew Burdett and I shall be your host as together we navigate this strange and unusual world at this most strange and unusual time. Amid a thousand breaking news notifications on your home screen, we know how hard it is to keep up to date with broader opinion and analysis on the world's goings on because we are just like you. So we've made things super easy. You can read our latest pieces online or on your mobile free of charge. And for those times when you fancy a longer, more relaxed read, we're now available in print every month too. More on that later. Read us on the sofa, on the bus, even on the loo. We don't care. Just take us with you wherever you go, including in your ears with this podcast. Joining me each week will be a whole host of the brightest and best names in political commentary, satire and reporting. And we've already lined up a great range of special guests for you for the weeks ahead. So keep your ears peeled for those. But today I'm joined by some of our very own, the Politifix Commentariat. So welcome one and all to our very first episode. Each week we like to take a look back at the last seven days. And joining me in the Politifix podcast studio, straight from the dizzying busyness of the newsroom upstairs, is Navya Hebar. Navya, hello. Hello, Andrew. Hello. I wonder if I could prick your brain for a little bit and just give me your biggest story of the last few days. For me, Andrew, it has got to be Ireland's abortion vote. Okay, so that's this vote over... Uh, repealing this this amendment. What do they call it? The the Eighth, the Eighth Amendment. The Eighth Amendment. And the Eighth Amendment has forbidden uh, and made it impossible, made it illegal for women to have abortions in Ireland. Yep. So basically, the the protection that was the right to life under the Eighth Amendment said that both a mother and an unborn baby have the same right to life. And this is the amendment that they have now voted on to be replaced. The vote was last Friday, that's right, isn't it? Yes, I think it was last Friday. And it was a huge majority. It was nearly two-thirds majority to the pro-choice campaigners. And it's been seen as a sort of mark of the country's gradual departure, if you can say that, from the influence of the Catholic Church in the country. Because obviously the Catholic Church was a huge part, and is still a huge part, (laughs) of Ireland's history and heritage and culture today. But actually lots of those sort of very traditional views, traditionalist views, are being challenged in a little way. And and sort of the country, I I feel like it is becoming a more liberal society. The and co- definitely a more accepting one. I think that's that's what this vote also represents. Because the question's been asked before, hasn't it? The question about whether they should make um, abortions more easily available within Yeah, Ireland. that that is right. And the question wasn't asked too long ago. It was about in, I think, 2002 once. Yeah. And before that, it was in 1992. And both votes were unsuccessful. And and before that, was it, it was... Illegal to have an abortion, yep. wasn't it? Was there any way that you could have an abortion? You could, but until this vote, basically, abortion was only allowed if there was a real and substantial risk to the life of the woman carrying the baby. And that is a pretty extreme proof to have to provide. To Absolutely. And that included the risk of suicide. So yes. And obviously there were you know many horrific stories there. Uh, 
And I understand that if women were then going to have abortions, they would then come to the UK or they would yeah. take sort of concoctions of drugs they'd order off online. It's a matter of women that really wanted to do it had to go through with it in through any other means available. So, so women were doing it anyway. Yeah, and this is probably just a more safer way to do it. Right. and gives more power to the women themselves. So obviously in 1992 and 2002, the women and men of Ireland, because of course it's worth remembering that the men have as yeah. equal a say, which seems a slightly odd thing to me, I guess, but have as equal a say over the vote as anyone else in the country. Um, what has changed now uh, in 2018, which means that Ireland has voted now to to repeal this Eighth Amendment, when they didn't do that before? What do you think's changed? I think... Before before we move on to the answer there, you said something there that I quite agree with in that men, again, it's, it's one of those topics where you think, do men really have a say? Because it's about women and their bodies. But at the end of the day, men are entitled to have an opinion on it. And this is a demonstration of that opinion. And I think it's finally time now that both men and women basically recognize that it's time to give women the right to decide over their bodies i think this this is a sort of recognition and an awareness that's been that's flooded the country in a way and that's what's changed since the last vote because one of the things that struck me was when the irish uh, prime minister was announcing the results and he said 100 years ago women had the right to vote and now finally we're giving this was his words they were giving women the the trust the trust and respect to make their own decisions and choices and he said no more to doctors telling their patients that there's nothing more that they can do or women being forced to come over to the to england to come and have abortions yeah. uh, and that kind of veil of secrecy in which everything was shrouded seems to have sort of been chipped away i also think there's um an element of uh, the burden of shame that sort of dissipated so people could go through what they're going through without having to be ashamed of it or having to hide. And I think from a mental health perspective, that would also do tons of good for people that are going through that situation. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, it is a serious, it is a very serious operation topic. or a yeah. serious topic. And I don't think there's anyone suggesting that women are now going to have sort of abortions left, right and centre. It's, you know, it's a very serious thing. And in fact, one of the things that struck me from the campaign, it was a heartfelt campaign on both sides of the divide. Uh, but one of the things that really struck me from the No campaign, actually, was a statistic where it said that one in five babies in England are aborted. They said that if they introduced, you know, the argument was if they introduced abortion into Ireland, then that will become the case in in that country too but it said one in five babies in england are aborted which just seems an extraordinary number an extraordinary figure and probably something that we don't talk about very much at all in this this country at the moment either so maybe there is still quite a stigma there about that as well uh i i hadn't heard of that statistic before i mean it's it's quite shocking but at the same time i think it's definitely something that's worth investigating and like learning and exploring but at the same time i think the campaigning also sort of drove home the point that yes there might be a problem there but the answer to it is not to ban it and it's not to curtail somebody's right to be able to choose and that the yes campaign balanced that out by saying it's not that we're saying this is okay but we're saying that you should have the choice to and you should be able to do it with with safe precautions with, with and safe and, precautions and, and, sort of and a lot of people place. that voted voted for it 
with great pride to be able to give a voice, I think. But yeah. also a lot of people voted with very heartfelt reasons, yeah. didn't they? And sort of personal reasons from their history. It's certainly one to watch, isn't it? it? I think It is, and um, this is something that's not over yet, over yet, is it? That's right, because I think, you know, now that uh, Northern Ireland, weirdly, is the only part of the whole of the UK and Ireland, which... You can't have an abortion in because of sort of historical reasons and so on. So May I think got to watch out, doesn't she? I think Theresa May has got to watch out because if her government is as it is, propped up by the DUP, which of course famously have a very hard line against these sorts of issues, then she is going to be in real, uh, in a real sort of rock, rock and a hard place, but torn between sort of the views of what I think is becoming an increasingly, you know, this vote proves an increasingly sort of accepted, also tolerant and accepting and. And it's sort of and, and compassionate, I feel. Yeah. Uh, and yet she's also got to remember that actually, you know, she hasn't got that many votes to play with. So that would be an interesting uh, one to watch. All right, Navier, thanks very much. Uh, that's obviously a really interesting topic and certainly one to keep an eye on over the weeks and months to come. Definitely. Thank you, Andrew, for having me in the studio. A little later, we'll be talking about our freshest print issue. But for now, let's move on to another of the week's biggest stories. It was the cry that characterised the general election campaign last summer. Thousands of people yelling wherever the Labour leader went. In an effort to recapture some of that excitement, Labour's due to hold an outdoor music festival in a fortnight's time. Dan Hopkins is here and he's been finding out more about it. I understand it's less, oh, Jeremy Corbyn and more, oh, no, nobody's coming. Uh, Yes, well, that's uh, quite right, Andrew. Uh, Labour Live has, well, it was allocated 15,000 tickets to people and only 2,500 have been sold. So it is turning into quite a disaster. 2,500 out of, out of how many? 15,000. 15, yeah. That is going to be a huge empty field, isn't it? It is indeed going to be quite an empty field. It's less Woodstock, more of a cheap backdoor barbecue. <laughs> um, it's there's music, entertainment, speeches from right. some... Obviously, left-wing figures, including Owen Jones, for example. The great Guardian commentator. Of course. Um, but Unite, uh, the trade u- u- union who has organised it, has is, well, they're giving away 1,000 tickets um, for free. So um, is that just a ploy to try and fill fill the gaps, try and make it look a bit busier than it was going to be? It is indeed a ploy, and they're even um, offering to pay for travel to London, where the, the festival is being held. Oh, great. Where Where from? Is it is it travel to London and return travel? Uh, or oh, uh, the specifications of that haven't you could quite been made clear. You could get a one-way ticket to uh, to anywhere you like. Couldn't you, you say that you were some sort of American Jeremy Corbyn superfan? Yeah, and then get a one-way s- ticket on the way home. Yeah, spend too. the day having a look around London rather than Labour Live. So are you going to be going to Labour Live, Dan? Um, if, if, the, if the travel's there, if, well, then again, maybe... We'll just have to see. What do you think it is about Jeremy Corbyn that attracts so many young people through an election and then 12 months later they all seem to not be interested? I suppose how he, how he manages to just bring everyone together at the election. Everyone manages to jump on the bandwagon of singing "Oh Jeremy Corbyn. But, um, and what a rallying cry that is, isn't it? Oh, oh yeah, it's, it's for the ages. Um, ripped off from, what song is it? The White Se- Stripes, Se- isn't it? Seven, Seven Nation, Nation Army. Army. Yeah. Um, I suppose that's just that's faded away now, much like the white stripes, really. <laughs> All right, Dan, it's good to talk to you. Thanks very much for your time. Thank you, Andrew. 
This is the Politifix podcast. We'll be right back after this. Okay, first question in today's quiz. What do you call a man with ludicrous amounts of cash? Billionaire! Right. And where could you easily save some of that preposterous fortune in a matter of minutes? Go compare! Go compare! Eat the wood to be crackers to waste your acres! So just thank your stars you can go to go compare! Yes. Question three. What would you not like to find in your wardrobe? Grizzly bear! Welcome back. Uh, well, as we've been saying, this week, Politifix finally heads out of our newsroom and onto your newsstand. Uh, and it's jam-packed with some of the most incredible articles from the likes of everybody you've heard today. I've done a piece about what tips a PR guru might offer the government. Dan Hopkins has met a former US prison warden who tells his harrowing tale, actually, of life inside the clink. And Andreas Kumadis has been playing with history. And I believe it's a distinctly Russian theme. Andreas is with me now. Hey, Andrew. So for uh, this episode, we step into the TARDIS and we go 200 years back um, to Russia which is a fascinating country. It speaks over 33 languages, 160 ethnic groups, 11 time zones, and 14 borders. It's massive. But apart from its large mass, the majority of the uh, population is concentrated on the European front because most of the land, the Siberian land, is not developed and couldn't be developed for a very long time. But now what we see today with climate change and warmer temperatures worldwide, we see that the uh, Siberian ice is melting, which makes the land uh, more agricultural. And as well with with the ice caps melting, it means that new trade routes are opening. So does that mean they're having to build quite a lot of new infrastructure then? Yeah, well, the piece goes back about 200 years. And we examine how Russia would be back then if it had the climate that it has today. So back in the Russo-Japanese War of 1904, the Russians had to send their troops all the way to Manchuria, China by rail. Now, at the time, it wasn't completed. One of the reasons it wasn't completed was due to the climate. Right. The working conditions were so hard. Yes. So if that was completed, you know, in 1904, uh, we would have seen a a very different Asia because uh, Japan was the first Asian country that defeated a major European country. And at the time, it was the myth that no European country could could never happen. Yes. One of the things I find really interesting with history is what you might call what if history. You know, what if some other event had changed? I suppose the most obvious one, you know, what if Franz Ferdinand had never been Mm -hmm. shot? You know, what might have changed? How might the world look now? That sort of thing gets me really excited. And is this kind of a, a series of articles you're going to be writing over the next few months' issues? So it started as uh, a, a single issue, but it's been a lot of fun writing it yeah. and doing uh, the research. And uh, I think there is a lot of imagination going into it. You could do it all over, the, you know, all over the world or all sorts of different political and historical events that if only they'd turned out the other way, you know, a flip of the coin, a, a parallel universe, you know, what might have happened? Yeah, exactly. Well, it all sounds fascinating and it's on newsstands uh, this week. Thanks very much, Andreas. That's brilliant. Thank you, Andrew. This is the Politifix podcast. Well, now we have a real treat exclusively for you here on the podcast. Each week, our roving reporter, Ewan Antona, is going out to meet people from behind the headlines. 
Uh, he's here with me now. How are you, Ewan? I'm not too bad, thank you. And where have you been this week? Who have you met? So this week I've been to Sheffield to meet a lady who's just been named Young European of the Year. And she's just one of a handful of activists who's dedicated her life to fighting Brexit. Madalena Kay is not one to do things quietly. Her alternative campaigning techniques have captured the imagination of thousands. Together they're on a mission to stop Brexit. I met Madalena at a home in Sheffield, which she shares with her dad, Barry, and white German shepherd, Alba. I was shocked by the vote, but I wasn't surprised. My immediate reaction was to pick up my guitar and write a protest song. Now Teresa's running down to the cliff edge, sticking this over with her. I don't want to be a Brexit girl. It was kind of uh, an emotional uh, outpouring of grief into something that was, you know, a, a positive outcome. I love Europe when we stay united I don't want to be divided I don't want to see a broken world Before Brexit I was not involved in politics at all really um, I would have said that I was a social activist because I organised lots of arts projects eco-environmental arts projects um, and I worked with you know, um, youth groups and um, young carers and homeless people Yeah, here's Mr Hofstad So for this painting... Um, we also used it for his birthday card. We got a thousand two hundred signatures, and then I've done a series of Brexit supervillains: Jacob Rees-Mogg, uh, Theresa Deville. Not everyone is quite so enthusiastic about Madalena's alternative style of activism. There are people that criticise me not for my political beliefs, but but for my style um, and my approach to campaigning, which is very alternative. And I can only say to them, look at what I've achieved, look how the message is getting out there, and, you know, bear with, withhold judgment until we reach the end of this. Madalena's dad, Barry, helps out with campaigning activities, looking after Alba at various events. He says the manic lifestyle doesn't get in the way of their relationship. It really doesn't trouble me, because we have the same mind. She's, she sets the agenda, she's not influenced by me, but... I absolute support what she is doing. And she deserves all of the sort of recognition she gets. On a cold March morning, I went to meet Madalena at a pro-EU rally in Newcastle. This was one of four events that Madalena had travelled to in as many days. Shout it loud, shout it clear, everybody's welcome here. Shout it loud, shout it clear. So today I'm going to be singing to the crowd in, uh, in Newcastle and I'm going to do uh, a few of my own written protest songs. It's important to travel to the different cities because we have this very Westminster-centric political environment in this country. We need to go and visit the places that voted leave and we need to get the message to them, we need to start conversations with them and we need to let them know that the Remain campaign is active and it's fighting to stop Brexit. On the train home, 
we had time to reflect on how the day went. Um, it was really good. I mean, the weather held out, which is always a positive. Um, you know, the other nice thing was that people that were passing by were stopping and paying attention too, which is great because you don't just want to preach to the converted. You know, we want more people to join the campaign. And actually, we do want the people that disagree with us to hear that we're there and that what we have to say. The vote to leave the EU has divided the country. The 2016 referendum saw 52% of voters back a departure from the Union. It's argued that leaving the EU will give the UK more control over its laws and borders, as well as more freedom to trade with the rest of the world. While opinions differ on the state of Brexit, Madalena and many others are ensuring their voices are heard. Do you think more people should stand up for what they believe in? Um, absolutely, and I don't think it's about being polite. I think quite a lot of the time it's about being lazy or disaffected or sometimes about not having the confidence. At the end of the day, that's what's important. You know, our society and the communities that we build are the important things. So, yeah, people need to speak out for what they believe in. Um, and, you know, we need to have more debate and more engagement in these issues. And that actually makes people feel more fulfilled. Keep fighting, we can do this. Well, there you are. That seems quite a nice note to end on there, that if we all just show a little bit more involvement and engagement in our politics, that can surely only be a good thing, Ewan. Absolutely. That's one thing I have noticed in making this package and the article on two-party politics in the magazine this month, is that voter apathy really is a big issue. It's engaging people and making people stand up for what they believe in, which is so crucial in giving us all a say. And that's something that really needs to be worked on. Absolutely. Well, it seems like a good note to end. Uh, thanks very much, Ewan, for your time. No worries. And from us all on the Politifix team, goodbye. Bye-bye.